This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 438. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by producer <laughs> extraordinaire, amazing, yeah. you know, gray goat, <laughs> Matthew Marister. I'm just glad to be back. Last last week or was Tuesday. I didn't get to be on the show with you, and I, I was a little bit sad, but no, it's it was good. It's good. You guys yeah, had man. a good show. Glad to have you with me today because we're going to talk about just how reliable is a reliable handgun. Yeah. What does yeah. that even mean, right? Yeah. There's lots of questions to ask about that. And, uh, you know, I mean, and, and I'll say this much. I mean, neither you or I are, I would say, consider experts in this regard, but I, I certainly have some thoughts about it. Sure. And I've arrived to a place of, you know, a, a conclusion, if you will, of, what is I think acceptable for me. So I'll share what some of those thoughts are, and I'm sure you'll have your own things to throw into the mix, Matthew, and it'll be a good episode. We're hoping. Keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So today's episode is brought to you by and sponsored by Pig Lube. Pig Lube is, uh, well, it's the lube I use for all of my all my firearms. I use it for my handguns. I use it for my rifles. I use it for my shotguns. And I'll tell you, it works. All right. And that's all I can say. I mean, you, there's all kinds of lubrication products out there and, and by and large, most of them work. Uh, I've heard of some that sometimes gum up over time. I've heard of some that, you know, cause issues with temperature when it gets really cold or maybe even when it gets really hot. Um, what I can tell you living in a four season climate, like I do here in Colorado and going to the range, both in cold and hot weather, Pig Lube has never let me down. It's worked very reliably. And, you know, they, they, they tout how their formula has tungsten, like microscopic tungsten ball bearings, essentially, in there. And the, the idea there is that the tungsten microbeads fill in the imperfections in the surface of the... Uh, of the gun, whether it's the slide running over the rails on the frame, whether it's the bolt carrier group in your AR going back and forth in the upper receiver. But I don't know whether that's true or not. I just know it works really good. All right. So mm -hmm. pick up your own tube of pig lube at concealedcarry.com forward slash pig lube. Yeah. Easy peasy. Or get the whole kit, the little kit you can throw in your bag and it has everything in there. That's what yep. I like. But that's me. Yep. Also, today's podcast is sponsored by, well, really ourselves, but uh, that is uh, the ConcealedCarry.com reactive targets we sell in our online store. We have a bunch of different options you can choose from. Uh, we've got bullseye kind of targets. We've got sight-in targets. We've got uh, B27 center targets. Uh, we've got little tiny bullseyes and things you can use. What's great about them, though, is that they're high-vis, so when the bullet impacts, you know, they, they kind of give you that little, that, that fringe around the, the bullet opening or the hole so that you can see from a distance a little bit better where your hits went. That's always nice. They're great for sighting. I, I, I love using them for whether it's sighting in a red dot on my pistol or the scope of my rifle. Uh, so anyway, 
great great value by the way too because we sell these you can get them in a, in a variety of of quantities and if you do the math compared to the other competitors out there that you typically see in a lot of your big box outdoor stores uh, these are incredibly cost effective and well they've got our concealedcarry.com brand on them so we like that as well so head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash cc targets and pick up some of our reactive targets today well let's get into today's topic again we're talking about just how reliable is a reliable handgun Mm -hmm. so i think an appropriate place to begin matthew is well what is reliability if you were to define reliability what what would you describe that as well i'm glad you asked and you didn't know this, but right before uh, the podcast, I decided probably would be good to look up the actual definition, right? Like the yep. actual definition of the word reliable. So uh, there's a couple of different definitions, but uh, it says suitable or fit to be relied on, dependable, um, giving the same results on successive trials. Now, the given the same results on successive trials, it's more, they, they put it as um, the medical definition of reliable. So I think that's probably um, where we stand more than a reliable or dependable kind of person, right? Like you can depend on this person to, you know, pick you up when they need to or, or come through and they say that, but more, more like a reliable, something that's um, objectively, you know, kind of a, a standard, um, something that you know, would be applicable to the medical field, right? Like you, you would need to have something that is reliable when they use it in, in, in medicine. So I think that's probably where we would start. Right on, right on. Uh, I'm glad you looked up the definition, you know, and that's a good explanation. And I think definitely applies to a lot of diff, a lot of different things, different fields, different industries, different products. Uh, I, I was just thinking for me personally, you know, and here I'm going to hold up my P320X5, my competition pistol, which granted this isn't used for a life or death situation, but I want to compete and do well. So I want this thing to, to be reliable as well. Uh, I, that's, that's what it comes down to. I want to know that the thing I count on works when I need it to. That's it. Right. And, and so that's what we're talking about here today. I mean, we're talking about this is the concealed carry podcast. So concealed carry self-defense, uh, you don't want to be in a position where you draw your gun to use in defense of yourself or your family or whatever. And when you're expecting that it to go bang and it doesn't go bang, or maybe you get one bang, but you don't get a second one and you need a second one, right? Or you might get, three or four bangs off, but then you need a fifth or sixth one and it doesn't, and, and you, and you get no more, right? That would be not reliability. That'd be a problem, right? We can look to the story we shared a few episodes ago. Uh, one of our justified save stories, the uh, BJ Baldwin shooting in Las Vegas, right? He had to fire 10 shots to take care of the threat in that situation. Well, 10 shots is a fair, fair number. And my understanding based on the, and this was the report from the DA's office on that case, all 10 shots hit. So all 10 shots were needed. Now we, we can't speak to where they hit, right? Obviously there's effective shots and less effective shots on the human body, but he needed 10 shots to get the job done. And by all accounts, they were good shots. 
and you know the fi- the final shot being a headshot and it ended the threat right then and there so you want to know you want to have absolute certainty and trust and belief in the weapon system that you are carrying with you that it's going to go bang all the times you need it to go bang so you are not in a situation where oh well snap uh my gun's not going bang anymore but i still have an attacker Mm-hmm. Right, that's a problem. So, <clears throat> how do we know if our handgun of choice, our concealed carry gun, it you know that that's primarily what most of us are going to rely on and find ourselves with? It's different than well, potentially it's different, right? For, for many of you listening, your carry gun, your EDC gun, is probably not a duty pistol like what a police officer is carrying every day, you know, a Glock 17, for instance, right? Maybe a Glock 22 um, or P320, you know, full size, that sort of thing, right? Smith & Wesson, right? They're, they're all very popular uh, law enforcement issued pistols these days. Um, yours may very well be different. than Now, mine's very similar, okay? Right now, if you want to know, I'm carrying a P320 X Compact Carry. That's That's my term for it. Right, the hybrid. I've got the longer barrel installed on a X compact grip module, but it's a 15 round gun. It's and I shoot it just about as well, just about, not quite, but just about as good as I do this big full size thing I use in competition. <clears throat> okay, so, uh, you know, but but again, I might be the anomaly compared to some of you. Um, so, because some of you might be carrying, a, you know, a shield or a I saw somebody commented earlier in XDS. They, you said your my reliable gun is a Springfield XDS. Um, by the way, today's in, in today's episode, uh, our intent is not to necessarily single out any one particular gun or manufacturer and say like this or that is reliable or not. It's more about what what should go into your own personal evaluation. I would say of making sure the equipment you rely upon is going to get the job done when you need it the most. Yeah. And, and I think that's important. Um, you, you know, we're, we kind of uh, began with the focus of reliable handguns, but like you said, it, it, it goes beyond the handgun, right? It's, it's the gear that you're using, whether it's the holster you're using, if you have an optic on your gun or uh, the type of ammunition you use, or if you use aftermarket products, um, all that stuff goes into the eventual reliability, I think, of the firearm, right? Like there's inherent reliability, like mechanically, is this gun uh, reliable, right? Like in general, is it, do they make reliable guns? And then is your specifically reliable, right? And then with all the aftermarket stuff that you do to it and the way you train with it, is that reliable? And and I think there's, you know, it's several different layers. And sometimes we only think of, well, I have a Glock, so it's reliable. Well, if you stick a bunch of aftermarket parts into it, you have a, you know, substandard holster and you throw rounds in there, you know, self-defense rounds that maybe not, they don't feed well. Um, Then it doesn't matter if you have a reliable Glock, your Glock is probably not going to be, reliable when you need it to be reliable. So I think there's some factors that, that, you know, that go into that. Right. Um, 
you know, and we will mention some examples of things today. In fact, I plan to share with you some things uh, from the U.S. Army's modular handgun system uh, evaluation. Okay, the MHS contract, which res- which has resulted in the M17 and M18 pistols that are now being fielded by all branches of the military here in the U.S. They're all going to end up uh, with some of these in their uh, in their service members' hands. Uh, which, of course, the M17 M- M18 is the P320 platform that was selected, you know, from Sig. Uh, Glock was was a big contain- contender in that. Glock even uh, sued, you know, to you know they felt like there was uh, some injustice done in the selection of that winning contract. Um, that that there were some things that you know should have resulted in Glock winning that contract instead. Um, we're not going to go there either. The fact is, we we have the the what is now the M17 M18, and uh, there's some interesting things that we can learn from how the U.S. Army evaluated the the pistol. All all the pistols actually involved in that contract, but but we have to realize too that uh, there was some initial evaluation that occurred before they selected who the winner is going to be, and there was further testing and evaluation that happened after that contract was awarded. Uh, and uh, so so they, there's quite a bit of data as far as the reliability of that new platform uh, for our uh, U.S. military. But anyway, all right. So um, let me give some, some, uh, some context. So we, we have to obviously look at this from the, the perspective of that, that a handgun is is it's a system, right? There's a lot going on in this little guy. As far as all the different little parts that that have to work together, it's it's got to be you know everything's got to work together and work properly. I mean, uh, everything from your trigger to your extractor that's that's a really important component. Um, the firing pin, the striker, all that, right? Everything's got to be working well and reliably, but don't forget, and this is a big factor in handgun reliability in particular, but we have to look at it like a system. We have things like magazines. A magazine has to, you know, be inserted into this gun. It needs to feed each round consistently again and again and again and again and again. Uh, and if the magazine fails, then the rest of the system fails. The gun fails. I'll just give you a quick idea, by the way. I, I have this magazine out, by the way, because um, I was recently checking my magazines and I discovered that this magazine, it's time to replace its springs. And the way I know that is it does still lock back, but I like to put my magazines in. This is, I can't speak of all different handgun platforms out there, but I could tell you this about SIGs. Uh, the sign of you needing to replace a magazine spring is if it, it certainly it needs to be replaced, if it will not reliably lock the slide back. Okay. But I will look at the uh, actual slide stop and watch it pop up into place when I insert an empty magazine into the gun. And this one does lock, but it barely does. As I watch that, I can tell that the spring tension from that magazine spring is such that it's just barely popping that thing up and barely catching the slide uh, with that slide lock. So uh, this one has been pulled out of service and I've got some, some new springs that are going to, I already have them on hand. I just haven't gotten around to doing the swap. 
So I'm just using that as an example that, you know, I could keep running this and eventually this would get to where that magazine spring would be worn even more and it wouldn't lock back the slide at all. And I'm not even as concerned about that as I am that eventually a weaker, weaker, week, you know, a weaker recoil spring is going to um, result in things not feeding correctly because we don't have a, a good recoil sp- or not a recoil magazine spring. Right. So um, there's that. Right. Then we also have to look at the ammunition we fire in the gun. The ammunition can make a difference. And we could say, well, hey, if my particular gun will feed this ammunition, but not that ammunition, you could say that's a weakness of the gun, I suppose, because there are guns that are not picky about ammo really at all. And there are some guns that are really super picky about ammo. And, and, And now hopefully you can be aware of that and you can find the ammo that works 100% of the time. And that's fine. I don't care if the gun is super picky and it'll only, it'll only run two bullets from one particular manufacturer. Well, if that's all you shoot, then okay, no worries, but we're in a ammunition shortage right now. And maybe you can't get that particular ammunition. So, so again, there's just, all, there's all these things, all these factors that is worth talking about and considering the reliability of our guns it's a system and everything has to work and we can't overlook the fact that we need all the individual components in the handgun to work properly. We need the magazine to be functioning properly. We need a good selection of ammunition. And I, ideally I, I, I feel like we want a gun that isn't very picky because especially now I, I have to buy whatever I can get my hands on at this point. Right? So all that's a system. It's all got to work together. And if one component stops working or doesn't work well with the others, then, you know, we need to make changes. Yeah. And, and I think he, here, here's the truth of it is that the gun is reliable until it's not reliable. I, I mean, I don't think anybody buys a gun and says, I'm buying this because it's an unreliable handgun. So inherently we want the gun that we're carrying to be reliable. So we have already kind of a bias that, okay, this is, this is going to be reliable because I've already invested money in it. So we, we put money in it. Um, we shoot it. And for, for example, um, people in even somebody in the comment section said, is the P365 reliable? And I think this comes from almost every new kind of designed gun. It started with, you know, every kind of new, um, uh, a smaller gun version uh, of, a, of a full-size gun goes through some some trials where uh, I don't want to say they're beta testing it on their on their customers, but um, there's things that get worked out right over time. And so, for example, I know there was an issue with the P365, the striker. Right, there was a big big hoopla or hullabaloo about the striker not um, uh, uh, failing right on the 365. Uh, I had probably, I don't know, I know you shot, uh, uh, you had two of them. I had probably 10 or 15,000 rounds through a 365, didn't have any problems. So mine was reliable until it wasn't when I was dry firing and I squeezed the trigger and I hear a little tink and I knew something was wrong. I took the, the gun apart and I could, in the, in the striker, the end of the striker had broken off. So was that an unreliable gun? I, don't, I mean... I guess it was reliable until it wasn't. I replaced the striker with a upgraded striker that, you know, uh, SIG group, you know, knew, knew of the fault. And now is this a reliable gun? That, that would be a question that somebody would ask me, like, 
do you have real, you know, uh, confidence in that gun? And I would say I do. I, I mean, um, so he, you know what I'm saying? It's, it, it, we, we have to look at it as, like you said, it's a system. It's an, it's, what are we, what are the variables that we're putting into it? We have to know that not everything, not every P365 is going to be this, is going to function exactly the same as the other P365s out there, right? Like you might have a lemon of a gun. You just might. Um, or you might have an anomaly. Uh, let's say you have like an old Taurus G, whatever it was, um, the first edition that had you know, many problems and yours runs flawlessly. You know, like I have a Taurus. I've never had a problem. It's fed every type of ammunition. Well, I mean, have you really stressed your gear? How many rounds have you put through it? Uh, what, what different types of ammunition and things? And, and maybe you just, you've been lucky, but the over, over, um, if you look at it as a whole, um, you know, certain guns don't have a track record of being reliable and you might have, the anomaly. So I, I think it's more complex than just saying I have X gun, so it must be a reliable gun. Or I heard something on the internet that there was a problem with the striker on this gun, so I'll never own that gun ever. I, I, I think we have to dive into it a little bit more deeply. Right. Right. Uh, agreed. You know, and with these kind of kinds of things, we have to be careful because all right. So let's say I have a gun, a particular gun, doesn't matter what model. And I get 300 rounds into shooting that gun. And there's some kind of failure with that gun. Right. Okay. Well, that I might be inclined to then tell people, look, I had this problem. Like, that's not cool. So you, sh you probably want to avoid that gun. You don't want to buy that gun. At the same time, what if, what if, I am the only one out of a hundred thousand of these things that were made to have that problem. It's a sample size of one. And guess what? Things happen. Crap happens. People like to often talk about Glock and how reliable it is. I mean, we even have Sean here saying that, you know, his Glock is, you know, it, it eats anything, it, it, you know, and, and true Glock has a history, a reputation of reliability. Uh, and that's amalgamated from thousands and thousands of users and hundreds of thousands of Glocks and that, you know, nine, probably 98, 99% of them have worked completely flawlessly. But on the same token, when they re first released the Glock 42, there were some reliability issues. Mm -hmm. They made some tweaks, I think, to the, I think it was to the recoil spring assembly. There was some slight issue. There was a few, not quite to the extent of the Glock 42, but there were some issues with the Glock 43. There were some issues with the Smith & Wesson M&P Shield in the early days. They have the new M&P Shield uh, 380EZ uh, that has had, I think, two recalls or whatever, you know, if you, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and so we have to recognize that that Virtually all of the major manufacturers, including those with a good track record, um, still have had some, I don't know if I would say lemons. Lemons is a bit too strong of a word probably, but just sometimes some growing pains with, usually with new platforms, new guns, new, new designs. Mm -hmm. That's the way it goes, right? That's just, that, that's just a part of life. 
<clears throat> and people will say, well, why do they release it to the public before it's been totally tested and vetted? Well, it's all about sample size, yeah. right? They might have, they might have 20 test guns and they might put 200,000 rounds through those 20 test guns and they may still not find an issue. And in looking at the materials and metallurgy, the engineering that's gone into that design and then, and then combining that with their own testing they've done in house, they may go, we have a reasonable certainty we don't know with 100% certainty, but we know pretty well, we're confident this thing's going to work. And then they go to market and then they make 50,000 of them and 200 of them or 500 of them have a problem, mm-hmm. right? You don't discover that till you end up with a big enough sample size. Well, and, and people use them differently, right? Like not everybody carries the gun exactly the same. Some people might... Um, you know, maybe, maybe something doesn't develop until it's, it's been used for a while, right? Like when they're, when they're testing these guns, they, they do everything they can possibly think of. Right. But nobody thought Sig didn't think about, Hey, what if we drop this gun at a certain angle from a certain elevation and see if in one out of, you know, a thousand times, if it falls at this exact angle, it will fire. Like, I don't think anybody went through that process, right? So you don't know certain things until somebody does it out there and maybe they don't know. Um, I mean, obviously there's certain obvious uh, uh, regular tests that they do on guns, right? But like, you don't know um, if somebody, maybe a gun's more prone to jamming uh, from limp wristing because of the way the 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 ratio of the, sp- the springs are, right? So you try to you you try to anticipate that as a gun developer, designer, engineer, um, but you really don't know until people start using it and say, "Yeah, this is more often than not we're finding people that have this issue." And then they tweak it, they figure something out. But I think that's also you know a part of it. You just don't know how people are actually going to use the gun um, sometimes. That can be true. Absolutely, all good points. All good points. You know, let, let's let's actually just talk real quick about the. Uh, you know, you you brought up the P three sixty five. You're you're correct. I have two of them. I still have two of them. Um, the two of them combined have twelve or thirteen thousand rounds between the two of them. Uh, they've been very reliable for me. They haven't been perfect, but they've been very reliable. I'll talk some more about what what that means. You know. Um, when I say they are reliable, well, I, I, I have a some some numbers actually to back that up. And some of that's covered in the review I did on P365. If anybody's interested in reading that, by the way, you can just go to concealedcarry.com forward slash P365 review. I'm going to double check that really quick. I'll get um, it. Drop the, the link in the notes there. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's a concealedcarry.com forward slash P365 review. And, and I talk about my testing of the P365 and my shooting of it. And I, and I explain every single little issue I have or failure that I have. Now, mine was mostly related to shooting steel or aluminum cased ammo. And I will still say this um, with running more rounds through the, the guns that they are still extremely incredibly reliable with brass cased ammo. I've still only had two brass cased ammo failures. If I, if I recall correctly out of 12, 13,000 rounds, um, 
And I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't recall if that's with, with just one of those two guns I have or if one happened on one versus one on the other. I think they might be both on the one that I purchased um, very originally early on. And they're, they're actually technically both orig- original models, meaning that before they did the, redid the striker design and all that stuff. So I'm still running on original strikers and all that stuff. Anyway, in fact, I'll just give you some of the some of the numbers right now. Um, so in my testing, trying to get to it here, it was around 700 rounds, I think, in that I had my first failure. And oh, excuse me, let's see here. Well, I'll, I'll go here. It is. So in this in this article, P, Sig P365 malfunctions, I got about 200 rounds in. And I'd run, I'd, I was running different varieties of ammunition, all kinds of different stuff, okay? About 200 rounds in, I started shooting federal, just your cheap federal aluminum-cased stuff, like, like we used to be able, to be able to buy at Walmart, which we can't anymore, thanks, Walmart. And on the 212th shot, I had a failure to extract. Uh, and then 16 shots later, it happened again. Then I went another 80 rounds and didn't have any issues any further. But later on, going back to aluminum-cased ammo, I still had a few issues here and there. It was something, and, and by the way, that might not be true of all aluminum case. The only aluminum case I shot through the guns was the Federal 115 grain stuff, okay? Some other, you know, like Blazer Brass might, might not, you know, their aluminum stuff, maybe that would have ran fine. I don't know. But I know from shooting two different types of steel-cased ammo, that the guns didn't like the steel case either. So I came to the conclusion that at least my P365s didn't like aluminum and steel cases. But when I shot brass, no problem. Now, around 700 rounds, I did have one failure with a nickel-plated brass case. But I was shooting Winchester Ranger T plus P ammo. Plus P, right? Okay. So maybe I'm not going to run plus P ammo on my gun. And, and that's generally true. I don't usually run plus P ammo. I don't carry plus P, especially in the P365. Um, and so out of everything else, standard pressure, it wasn't until I had several thousand rounds. I don't remember the exact count now that I finally had a failure to extract with brass case ammo. All right several thousand rounds. There's like 3,600 rounds or something like that on, on the one gun. So, you know, in my evaluation of it, being able to go that many rounds across two different guns, mind you, right? So we have a little bit bigger sample size, at least than just one gun. We have, we had two in my case. And also I had been th- I had taught classes or I had attended classes where shooters were shooting a P365. And so in my own personal frame of reference, I look at things and go, okay, you know, I saw this person, this person, this person, that person running the same gun, didn't see any failures. We, although, although to be fair in that class, you and I taught in Cincinnati mm-hmm. uh, and yours was reliable up to that point. All of a sudden during that class at one point, you, you, you had a, a failure on your mm-hmm. P365. Yeah. And that was the first one. And mm-hmm. so mine was, hey, this is a reliable gun, right? Like regardless of strike or drag or, you know, everything um, until it wasn't. And yep. then after that, 
did I have any problems? No. And, and, you know, and it didn't have anything to do with, Hey, well, how many times did you clean it in between round? You know, how many rounds do you go be- between cleaning? It had nothing to do with that because I didn't clean it after, you know, I didn't, uh, clear the malfunction, clean the gun and then start running it. I just cleared the malfunction, ran it and didn't have any problems for the next, you know, several thousand rounds. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it was reliable until it wasn't. Yeah. Um, how many rounds did you have up until that point, roughly? Uh, several thousand. And I think we fired, I don't know how many we, we shot, uh, that weekend, a couple hundred probably again. So you had a couple thousand rounds before you had your first stoppage. Yeah. And nothing. And you, I don't think your, your primer ever broke. And then my primer actually, or uh, a striker actually broke, Mm -hmm. um, which was, which is weird, right? Like you, so it, it, mm-hmm. it it's very difficult to, to gauge yeah. exactly, you know, when things are going to happen, if they're going to happen. And those are the failures that probably scare people mo- the most, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people will kind of look at that and go, well, that thing could have failed on my next sure. shot. My next shot might've been using it in self-defense. Mm-hmm. I'd be hosed. Well, that's true. But we have to approach this from a, a perspective of, by the way, a- any gun can fail. I have seen other guns, other brands of guns that have broken and had problems. Heck, I would say that having a, a sight, an iron sight, fly off your gun, which I have seen multiple times in classes. I'd say that's a pretty significant failure. <laughs> now you can't aim your gun and shoot it good. That's that's about as good as having a broken firing pin. Okay, maybe that might be a stretch. Yeah, broken firing pin, you can't shoot anymore. At least if I don't have a front sight, I can kind of shoot. But it's still a big problem, right? Sure. And that kind of stuff happens. All right, so so what what, what am I getting at? You know, this is this is the math that I ran uh, as a result, of, you know, of my testing of the P three sixty five, and I calculated everything up, and I took worst case scenario. And worst case scenario, I I had my gun had a ninety nine point eight five percent reliability rate, right? Meaning that through however many thousands of rounds, ninety nine point eight five percent of the time it worked flawlessly. And I was counting in that worst case scenario, the less ideal non brass cased stuff, right? So we have to ask ourselves a question. Is 99.85% pretty dang reliable? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, well, let's put it this way it's extremely reliable, um, but it's not 100%. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I, I, I would say, yeah, the, it, when you're looking at military, military grade firearms or, you know, with the military, I'm sure you have the statistics of what the what 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 the uh, contractors contracts uh, had to meet, you know, for the for the military uh, handgun um, contract. But I'm sure uh, it's probably not even close to ninety eight point six percent. Yep. So, I mean, to your point, this is what sometimes people will say, but it's not 100 percent. Mm-hmm. I want to know that my gun is a hundred percent. Well, how do you know that your gun is a hundred percent? Right. At what point, how far do you push it to get to where you can say it's a hundred percent reliable? The truth of the matter is you can't, there's no way of knowing. 
Okay. Because that Glock that you've been shooting, that you've put 20,000 20, rounds through up to this point reliably, and, and you claim has zero failures in 20,000 rounds, it's possible. Although I frankly think a lot of people lie about stuff too. But uh, you could have 20,000 rounds to that Glock and it's been 100% for you. And the 20,000th and one, whatever, 20,000 and first there we go. Shot <laughs> could be your first failure. Mm-hmm. And then it's no longer hundred percent. The reality is this is, this is the, uh, this is the mindset we should, uh, we should have with regards to our equipment is nothing is 100%. Nothing is 100%. It can't be, it's all mechanical stuff wears down, stuff breaks down. And especially if we don't maintain things, stuff will fail eventually. Like that, that's without a doubt right? There's replacement schedules for things like recoil springs and extractors and firing pins and all of that stuff, right? Most people aren't even aware of that stuff. Yeah. Now, most it, people, to be fair, probably don't shoot enough to ever like truly wear some of those components out in their gun. But most people don't even know that. Most people don't know you should replace your recoil spring ever so often. Well, most and, guns are anywhere from twenty five hundred to five thousand rounds, which isn't honestly that much. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, think about not everybody. You know, probably most people listening have a firearm, have have a handgun. But think about your car. Like, when are you supposed to get? the timing belt change? When are you supposed to change the oil or the transmission fluid or this or that? How many miles over that are you still driving? Right? Like, and you're like, Oh, my Honda, all I have to do is change the the oil every, you know, 60,000 miles or whatever it is. Right? Like it's a reliable car. Um, but because those, those schedules are built in, it's not because, you know, at, uh, your your recoil spring supposed to be changed 5,000 rounds because, 5,000 in first round that recoil spring blows apart. It's not that you could probably shoot 10,000 rounds, but everything after that 5,000 rounds, the reliability of that gun probably is decreasing a little bit because you're going past what the standards or what the, the, you know, all the, all the, uh, uh, you know, the recommendations are for that firearm to work reliably at its highest point. So it's one of those things. And if you're not aware of changing out those parts, or if, you know, you're kind of pushing it and you, you, you know, you've bought a, a used gun, you're not really sure how many rounds have been through it, or you don't track it or whatnot, or you put aftermarket products in there that might over put more stress on a certain pro a, a certain component and wear it out a little bit quicker and you don't realize um those are the things that i think pop up sooner and people are like oh well this gun has a lot of problem and this is like well no i you, you gotta you kind of gotta have to maintain your gun as well and, and know what's going on with it yeah yep that's true now, some of you pro- maybe that are listening or watching this are sitting there wondering, well, how often sh- and how do I know when I should re- be replacing certain things? First of all, I should say that it's always wise to have a certified armorer. And armorers, frankly, good ones are better than even just general gunsmiths because they're, they have knowledge and training specific to a particular gun. But people don't always know who to go to or where to go to have somebody that knows what they're doing. And is familiar with whatever, you know, say I'm, I'm holding my 320 here. 
right? And I, I was certified as a P320 armorer, which gave me some special training and insight into this particular platform. Um, and I've got a sense of, of, you know, when certain things should be replaced and stuff like that. Um, that, ex- that certification is now expired. You should know people, uh, in case you're wondering, uh, I still very, I, for me personally, I feel very comfortable working on my three twenties and doing whatever, I, whatever I need to do. Um, but, um, uh, a while back, I, I put some thought into this, and after looking at, because I, I was certified as an armorer on several on multiple platforms, uh, including Glocks and and three twenties and stuff, and kind of reviewing a bunch of different guns, uh, maintenance schedules and stuff like that, uh, I came up with kind of a rough idea, uh, kind of a what I would say a rule of thumb is, uh, and it's it's intended to be actually more aggressive right than what you probably need to be sure but but that's it's it's taking the approach of i want to without a doubt know that i that i'm not meeting or exceeding the surface service life of my gun or the parts in that gun and so if you take this approach you should be just fine and so basically what it comes down to is for a mid-size or full-size gun all right. Basically, if we if we're looking for a metric, if you have a three point four inch barrel or smaller, I would call that sub or micro compact. If you have three point five inch or bigger, and this is still kind of a, not perfect, you know, but that kind of is a rough breakdown, you know. Then, but if you have bigger than that, then you're probably a mid size, full size gun. All right, and so you can follow the mid or full size schedule versus on the small one. By the way, the schedule is basically the same um, on 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 most of the parts, but the difference is on the recoil spring. Okay, the subcompacts tend to eat up recoil springs faster than the bigger guns, and that has to do with it's a smaller gun. They usually have fewer coils. Fewer coils means that the spring rec- is going to wear out faster. Right on a bigger gun, we have a longer recoil spring. We we can get more, you know, and it's less compressed. Okay, so we get more life out of uh, out of a bigger spring typically. So on all guns, replace all springs except for the recoil spring every ten thousand rounds. Mm-hmm. Replace extractors and firing pins or strikers every ten thousand rounds. Okay, that's more often than probably what you need by far on some guns in particular. But you know, if you do those, if you replace all springs that are in the gun, and you replace your extractor and firing pin or or striker every ten thousand rounds, I can dang near guarantee you, you're not going to see those parts wear out before you you know uh, before you're ready for them to. Okay, now on the Full-size guns or mid-size guns, replace the recoil spring every 5,000 rounds. On a subcompact or microcompact, replace it every 2,500 rounds. All right? And if you follow that schedule, because even if you don't know what your specific schedule is for your particular gun and particular parts, if you follow that schedule, it would probably work for all most of the guns out there. Um, all right, so that's maintenance, and that's important, okay? If, if we don't maintain the guns 
stuff will break eventually. Stuff will fail. Now, this brings me to a, to a point, Matthew, and we should we should actually kind of divide this slightly. Uh, really, what we have with handgun reliability is is two types. One is is a parts reliability or like a uh, engineering sort of you know sort of reliability. The other one's op- operational reliability. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you look at how police departments and the military in particular does handgun testing, uh, there's two things you'll see quite frequently. One is called uh, uh, mean rounds between stoppages, okay, or MRBS, mean rounds. So it's an average or mean, okay, M E A N, um, mean rounds of that you can fire through that gun before you expect a stoppage. And what's a stoppage? Well, that's defined as an operational failure, okay? Meaning that we it's a malfunction. A uh, stovepipe, a uh, failure to extract, eject, uh, failure to fire for whatever reason, failure to go into battery, okay? That would be a stoppage. So that's a mean, so there's a metric of, you want to see no more than one stoppage, okay? Per however many, it's typically thousands of rounds. A common number is 2,000. We want to exceed one stop. We want to exceed, excuse me, 2,000 round, mean rounds between stoppages. The other is mean rounds between failures. And that is talking about something in the gun that basically breaks or requires maintenance. Um, and you know, and that can obviously lead to a stoppage, of course, but it's a failure of something breaking in the gun or needing to be maintained in the gun. Okay, it's not just something that happens as part of necessarily the operation of it, which operationally we can induce stoppages be- by user input by the shooter. All right, and I don't necessarily, depending on what that is, I don't know if that that's a, a true measure of what the gun is capable of or not. Um, sometimes we don't know though. So uh, a common. So let me just give you an idea that the uh, the M seventeen M eighteen contract. Uh, so when they were when they were evaluating, particularly what came down to the two front runners, Glock and Sig, uh, the the metrics were being used is that they wanted to have a, uh, a minimum of five thousand mean rounds between failure. I think that's right. Yeah. The mean rounds between failure reliability requirement is 5,000 rounds. Okay. And they wanted a mean rounds between stoppages reliability requirement. That was 2,000 rounds. Mm. I don't know where they come up with these numbers, uh, how they figure this, but they say a 5,000 mean round between failure represents a 98% probability of completing a 96-hour mission without a failure. Where they hmm. how they figured that I don't know, but that's what they that's what they say, and the mean rounds between stoppage re- reliability requirement two, of being two thousand rounds that's a ninety five percent probability of completing a ninety six hour mission without a stoppage. I dare say a military mission, particularly one that lasts ninety six hours, is a lot more than the five or six or ten or two rounds that you need in a self-defense encounter. So I I bring that into the picture to just present the context of if the military is saying, we want to see 
a mean round be- between failure rate of greater than 5,000 rounds, and that's a 98% probability of success, then maybe our standard doesn't need to be all that. doesn't doesn't need to be at least that high, right? Because they're thinking about stuff that's way more intensive than the five seconds it's going to be for me to recognize a threat, draw my gun and put three rounds or 10 rounds on him. Sure. Right. So coming, going back to my numbers of my P365s have exhibited a greater than 99.85% reliability. And that's just a pure, that's, that's just pure math of this is how many stoppages I had divided by the total number of rounds I fired. That's all that is, but I feel pretty good about that. Okay. What are the odds that in the next five rounds I fire or the next 10 rounds I fire, depending on what I, I don't know what my neck, I I say next, this is, you know, I'm not planning anything here, guys, but my (laughs) next gunfight, what are the odds that in the next 10 rounds I fire, I'm going to have a stoppage or a failure. It's probably pretty low. Mm Mm-hmm. So now something else interesting when the, uh, I think it was at the army. I think it was the army. Maybe it was the Marines. Uh, just says it was the modular handgun system, material reliability test. I believe this is being conducted by the U S army. Um, they tested the M 18 and they took three M 18 pistols and they fired through each of them, 12,000 rounds. And all three had zero stoppages or failures through 12,000 rounds. Hmm. That's impressive. Yeah. That's impressive. And I will add to that my own experience with the P320 platform. I have multiple P320s. I have put many thousands, tens of thousands of rounds through them. And my P320s have been the most reliable handgun that I have ever owned. Hmm. By far, I've had stoppages with my Glocks. I have, I cannot, I, I, I don't think I've had a single malfunction with my P320s through tens of thousands of rounds. I, uh, just competition shooting, I've got thousands of rounds. Now, I did have a stoppage last weekend in my uh, shooting competition, but that was induced by me. I was shooting through a very low, small port, and I just barely nicked my optic. And, it's, and it caused a malfunction. I'm not counting that, right? Just in shooting the gun, though, my P320s have been boringly reliable. Well, here, here's here's one little thing that I would throw into into the mix, and because we all have our anecdotal, you know, well, my my gun is reliable, and and, and you know, I know you have a problem with yours, but you know, my mine is good. Um, but here's here's and you kind of mentioned about I was shooting through a porthole and, 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 you know, I caught my optic and things. Um, everybody has different size hands. They grip the gun differently. And I know there's a lot of shooters, especially with high grips, um, that sometimes will ride a slide stop, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so the, the, the slide doesn't, doesn't uh, lock back on them. You switch them to a different gun. Doesn't happen because the slide stops a little bit different place or, uh, due to their grip, uh, they're squeezing the magazine release, right? So sometimes in between rounds, 
that slot that, or that uh, magazine becomes just ever so slightly dislodged and they get a stoppage and then they can't figure it out. So I think um, in, you can throw this into reliability. Um, I, I don't, I wouldn't totally throw it in as, as far as reliability, but more of understanding how your gear works with you um, and, and, and know that, you know, this is why you have to test your gear and it's excessively tested, like yes. not just under perfect conditions, shoot through a, a portal and know, okay, you know, I really have to be careful not to, cause my, my optic sticks up pretty high, or I really have to be careful about how I grip the gun and make sure when I grip my gun, you know, th- that I'm not applying pressure in this specific way, or make sure that I know if I have a real lo- loose grip, and I'm shooting this one-handed because there's a backstrap safety or, or a grip safety that there's a potential that I could cause, I could induce a stoppage. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so these are those things that like, I think come about when you start really stress testing your gear and putting it through paces with your gear, with your hands and, and, and you know, and your weather conditions, cold weather, hot weather, you talked about it earlier with, with, uh, with the lubricant, right? Some people, if you put, you know, a, a, a substandard lubricant in your gun, it starts gumming it up. That's probably not great for how it's going to function. So all these things play a factor into the overall reliability. And that's really what we're concerned about. Like mm-hmm. you could put a, the gun through 12,000 rounds and not have malfunction, but if you're limpering it and it had, it's prone to, you know, not, not feeding when you limp it more than another gun, then, you know, it, it may not be reliable for you. So that's kind of where mm-hmm. like this overarching, you put it all together, not just how many rounds have you shot through it, um, but right. overall, everything that goes into it and what have you done to it and your training and all that stuff. And and then you can get a true assessment of like, is this gun reliable or can you rely on it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and as Bobby is noting here on Facebook, you know, he says rule of thumb and philosophy. If it can malfunction, it will. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about Murphy's Law. And actually, that's something that Dave Spaulding is, is uh, he commonly says that Murphy always gets a vote. <laughs> Murphy always gets a vote in your whatever situation in your gunfight. Murphy gets a vote. Uh, stuff that you never imagined happening may very well happen, right? And, and and that's so true. It just it is. It's a it's a fact of life. It just is. Murphy gets a vote. So that's it's important to recognize. Um, and I think we can get into a whole other discussion about pressure testing or stress testing our gear and equipment in another episode, Matthew. But, uh, but I do want to ask you, I mean, like to your point, this is what, you know, what we're, we've been building up to for this whole episode uh, is how do you know, or what, maybe what are some of the things you can do to have a reasonable level of confidence that the gun you will rely upon to save your life is going to work for you in that incident? Yeah. So Matthew, like, what, like, what do you think? I mean, so I'm going to, I'm going to pitch this to you in the form of tomorrow you go and you buy, or today, because today's happier. that make me happier to get a new gun. Today Today you walk down to the gun store after uh, we're done with this episode and you buy a brand new, I'm going to say it's a brand brand new Glock 19 gen five. 
uh, which is a gun that's already known for reliability, right? Mm-hmm. But but let's let's assume like we or let's let's assume we can't assume that just because we buy a brand new Glock that we don't have to test it. Like, so what would you do with this brand new Glock to get to a place where you would be confident carrying? Yeah, and I think this is this is this is assuming that I have a gun that I'm so for somebody brand new buying your first gun, you know, how, at what point can you carry, right? Like, is it better to carry a gun that you haven't put through all these paces, right? Or uh, wait till you get 5,000 rounds in. So what I would say is some basic stuff to make sure is make sure that it's cycling self-defense ammunition. It can cycle full metal jacket all day long, steel case, all kinds of different stuff. And you could put the first round of self-defense ammunition and it, it shuts it down. Right. So yes, reliability with full metal jacket target ammunition. Yes, of course, make sure that, you know, uh, that, that you're not having major malfunctions, right. Just basic feeding, uh, chambering, extracting, ejecting type stuff. Um, and then make sure that your self-defense ammunition feeds through it not just one or two rounds. I know it's expensive, but run a couple magazines through and make sure that you're running them uh, different magazines as well, because you could get a bum magazine, right? Like maybe there's something wrong with that magazine spring or the, the, the follower just isn't right. It's a piece of plastic, right? What if it has just a little burr on it and it just doesn't, doesn't feed right. So make sure that you're running different magazines at different, um, different, uh, fill capacity, right? Like a magazine that's totally full, maybe a magazine with two rounds, um, d- different things like that. So you're, you're, you're testing it on different, different, you know, uh, conditions. Uh, I would test it up shooting in one hand, shooting two handed, um, get, get a good grip, get a poor grip, um, make sure that basic things like the sights are not loose. Like you mentioned, sights go flying off. I mean, front sights get loosened up and people don't even realize. I, I like I know this has happened in your classes because it happens every so often in mine. Like somebody's shooting and they're way off, and you're like, What are you seeing through your sights? And they're like, I'm seeing this. And then you look at their gun and sights like hang off the side, their sights shifted, or their front sight shifted or something, right? Yep. So those basic things, um, before you even I would say before you uh, put it in the holster and say, Hey, I'm, I'm confident with this gun. That'd be you know, the base first. And then obviously sample size. Mm-hmm. Yep. Here's what I would pitch. I would pitch that for the average concealed carrier with a new gun or a gun that's just been selected. Cause it could be something that you've had for a while, but, but, Maybe you haven't shot a lot or you haven't carried it yet or whatever, but whatever gun you have selected, purchased, whatever, to carry on your person for personal defense, this is what I would do. I would run through it a minimum of 500 rounds. And if you do that all in the same session, that's fine. If it takes you a couple sessions, that's fine. But I would I would run it through that 500 rounds without cleaning or or relubricating. I'd make sure it was clean and lubricated before you started. That's fine, that's fine. But but I would run it through 500 rounds without cleaning or stopping or taking it apart or anything. And out of that 500 rounds, I would make sure I fired at least a hundred rounds of my chosen self-defense ammo 
and more is better. Like if you could do 500 rounds of your defensive ammo, that would be awesome, <laughs> right? You'd have even greater level of confidence, but who does that? Probably very few people, right? And obviously cost is a factor. Um, I always encourage trying to find and purchase your defensive uh, ammo in bulk, just like I buy my practice ammo in bulk. Although bulk buying defensive ammo might not be the same thing. Like 500 rounds of defensive ammo is basically a bulk buy, right? Um, And there are deals to be, well, I should say there were deals to be had. Uh, If you just did a little Google searching and stuff, you could find, you know, uh, HSTs or gold dots or that kind of thing out there for, you know, in in quantities of 500 or even a thousand. And it wasn't. Well, I would say you could find those things, those defensive rounds in quantities of a thousand for about the price that what you're paying for a thousand rounds of FMJ nowadays. <laughs> yeah, literally, seriously. Um, so, uh, yeah, 500 rounds, a hundred of that at least with my chosen defensive load. And if I got zero failures through those 500 rounds, for I'd say for the average concealed carrier, that's a pretty good test. All right. So to, to think that you need to go a thousand or 2000 or 5,000 or 10,000, or if you place a lot of weight and faith in some of these torture tests you see online on YouTube, oh, we fired 20,000 rounds, you know, whatever. Underwater. That's all fine. <laughs> you know, that's all fine. And that, that's cool. And I'll keep in mind that most of the time that's all just the same bullet, same FMJ, same, you know, whatever. Um, it's, you know, it's not the same as testing multiple different bullets, different pro- bullet profiles, different manufacturers. Everything's got a little bit different shape, length, uh, me plat on the bullet, whatever. Okay. And all that is a, is a factor, but whatever you choose to carry in that gun for defense, hundred rounds, a minimum of that without any failures. And then l- at least 400 rounds of whatever else that you, that you can afford or that you are able to shoot through it and zero stoppages. And for, for most people, that's, that's probably pretty good. All right. Cause again, that, that establishes by the way, no failures through five, even if you had one failure through 500 rounds, that's still 99.8% reliability. Okay. Just to put it in context. Um, but if you have zero mal- malfunctions through 500 rounds, again, you've got a pretty, I think it's a significant, uh, an, uh, you know, level of confidence that okay, you know, I'm going to be packing this thing around, and my gunfight might be three shots, it might be twelve shots, but what are the odds of my next twelve shots having a failure? Probably pretty low, based on the testing you've done up to that point. And then as you go, it's a good idea to keep keep track of things, keep some records, or at least have a general idea of what your round count is through your pistol. And again, follow those maintenance schedules I outlined. Replace your recoil spring every 2,500 rounds in the case of a sub or micro compact. Replace it every 5,000 rounds in the case of a midsize or full-size gun. And replace everything, you know, springs and extractor and striker and all that stuff, right, that, that, that does wear and, and break down over time. Um, do that every 10,000 rounds and you'll be good. So now I, I do want to address really quick. I know we're actually a little bit over time, but Matt was asking about um, brass versus aluminum versus steel casing. Uh, I, I Here's the deal. Anybody that's serious about particularly a defensive pistol, um, you don't place any faith in steel or aluminum case ammo. 
And I don't even consider aluminum or steel cased ammo to be a test of a gun because it, it's not, it's not even, it's, it's the furthest it could be from the stuff that I'm actually going to shoot through the gun in a defensive scenario. So shooting a loon or steel case through a gun to me is irrelevant. All right. It doesn't, it, the only reason I do that is if that's the only ammo I can get and, or it's a co- it's a cost thing for, for practice. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the only reason to shoot that stuff through it. It's not to test that gun in terms of reliability. Because those materials all have a different, you know, keep in mind that every time a gun is fired, the the material that makes up that case, it stretches and expands and it seals the chamber to prevent gases from coming back and and, and using that gas efficiently and pushing the bullet down the barrel. Okay. And then that case has to very quickly contract to then be extracted out of that chamber and have it come out. Um, Brass does that very well. Brass is malleable. It expands. It seals well. And then after that round is fired, it, it pretty quickly contracts when that pressure drops and allows that to be extracted reliably. reliably. I think aluminum probably does okay as well, but it's different than brass. And steel, the whole reason that those cases are are have a coating on them or, or lacquered or whatever is to aid in extraction because it's a totally different material than brass and it reacts differently under pressure and under heat. So, so yeah, I, I place no faith in, in really generating much in the way of uh, data from shooting aluminum or steel case ammo through my gun. And if I have problems with that, but then I don't have any problems whatsoever with brass, which was basically my experience with the P365, I don't worry about the 365 then. Mm-hmm. All right, because I'm not shooting brass through it or steel through it in defensive contexts. Okay. So, uh, and then, you know, Matt asked about bullet weight and barrel length. Well, I mean, a longer barrel gun is generally inherently going to be because it's easier to engineer that thing to work reliably than a short barrel gun. Short barrel guns have to make so many compromises to make it short, to make it uh, small and lightweight. And, and, but then they still have to be able to make that thing run. You know, you're flirting on that disaster's edge of reliability and not reliability with a lot of these micro compact guns. That's, it's, it's an incredibly challenging thing, I think, for these guys to, to engineer and manufacture these really small guns and make them run reliably. Historically, small guns have not been reliable in the firearms industry. Mm-hmm. If you really think about it, in recent history, in the last 10, 20 years, this has been the golden age for the micro and subcompact that also happens to be reliable. And it's because of an improvement in engineering and materials and modern manufacturing methods. Um, bullet weight. Do you want to test? Again, what's most important to you is the is the, I would look at choosing a defensive load that you uh, based on research, based on information, using sites like LuckyGunner.com and you know, looking at their data on all the different bullets they've tested, and I would go, okay, in a small pistol or in a large pistol, whichever thing I'm carrying, this bullet, this weight performed well defensively speaking. You know, it, cons- ex- it consistently expanded, it penetrated the appropriate depth, and so forth. Okay, that's all I care about at that point. Then, right? If I'm testing my gun, then I do want to test in that same bullet weight if I can. All right, because bullet weight and all that—that that, that's gonna what that's gonna have to do with is 
the speed and the acceleration of of the stuff that's moving and and um, reciprocating your like your slide and stuff. Okay, heavier bullet weight. Typically, we have a slower slide velocity. A, f- a lighter bullet where stuff ignites and moves very quickly, we typically have a faster slide velocity. Okay, it all factors in. At the end of the day, if I put 500 rounds through my gun and 100 rounds of my defensive chosen defensive load, um, and if those are in the same bullet weight, that's great. Then I I'd have reasonable um, confidence that my gun will will do what it needs to do in a short, relatively low round count self defense shooting. Sorry, I I I've taken the show away from you. <laughs> No, can't I can't add anything more. I wouldn't disagree. Totally good stuff. Good stuff. And great great questions. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh so as a follow-up, Matt Matt here says he's done 50 rounds of 115 grain, 50 rounds 124 grain, 50 rounds 147 grain of self-defense ammo as a little test. His gun likes 124 grain the best. Wow. Awesome. Good. Mm-hmm. So, one you know, choose a, a reliable, good, uh, one twenty four grain load, what, whatever that is, whether it's federal, H H H S T, gold dot, critical duty, I you know, whatever, okay, and test that and make sure it works. And if one twenty four grain is the magic, uh, you know, bullet weight for your gun and max reliability plus you like shooting it. It shoots well for you. The sights track well. We could get really into the nitty gritty of choosing. Maybe we'll do an episode on that sometime. Choosing your load for your gun. Because I'll tell you, as a competitive shooter, it's really important. I mean, it should be important even in a defensive context. Sure. But I'm I, I'm analyzing things at a, at a pretty micro level in terms of detail of the what I'm shooting through my competition gun, right? And what looks good to me as far as I'm trying to track my sights, my dot, right? I want a consistent return in re- after recoil, all that stuff. We can get really into the weeds on that. Anyway, so, um, yeah, but ultimately, how re- just how reliable is a reliable gun? I think we've covered it pretty well here. Um, again, can you do more comprehensive tests and stuff? Sure. I think it's wise to uh, talk to others in the industry I think it's important to pay attention to other things that are going on. Um, try, you know, so, so a fair point, Matthew, I guess to, to bring up is what about some of those cheaper guns like a Taurus, for instance, mm-hmm. um, generally they're not recommended by big names in the industry or people that know that are in the know, right? Historically speaking, Taurus doesn't have a have, doesn't have the greatest reputation. I know I said we weren't going to bring any specific brands into this as far as like trashing on anybody, but this is just the truth. Like nobody, even the CEO of Taurus, which by the way, we're probably going to have him on the podcast here soon. Just so you know, I'm testing three different Taurus guns right now, just just to just to see what's what. And I watched a video recently from Caleb Giddings on YouTube where he put 500 rounds through the I think it was the new G3C, that which is one of the guns I have. He put five rounds through it and went, yeah, it worked pretty good, right? It's probably, probably good to go for the average concealed carrier is basically his takeaway. That that may be, right? And and it's not always 
the cheaper guns, I, I, and you probably seen this, I've seen some very high end guns and I'm not going to name any mm-hmm. brands or, 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 um, but if there is a gun on the line that fails and it's of a specific type of gun, I probably figure out, okay, I know what, what manufactured that is like it, it and, and it's not a cheap gun. So it, it, some guns, just the way they make it. And it's not all of, you know, it's not to say like all Kimber guns or all, you know, uh, Glock guns or, or what else. They might have some specific models that just don't seem to work very well, uh, in, in under, under many different conditions. So, um, you know, you just, you just have to, do your own do your own testing on the gun obviously get some feedback and look around and mm-hmm. if you see time after time that many different people are having problems with it um then it might be something to question um but yeah. also do your own do your own research yeah the thing is is if someone's going to be a serious shooter and i encourage everybody to be a serious shooter to take some classes and to regularly practice and train well, you're going to go through hundreds and thousands of rounds every year, right? Um, to put in context, like I, I shoot probably uh, this year has been weird because of COVID and everything, but last year or even the year before, I probably went through twenty-five thousand rounds, thirty thousand rounds one year, maybe even. Okay, that's a lot of rounds in a year. Okay, so what what, what we do know historically speaking is it's typically some of the less expensive guns start, they don't hold up quite as well for as long when, you, when you're talking about that regular practice, that regular you know, training and all that stuff. And that's where, yeah, if you're choosing that whatever, you know, put X name of cheap gun in, in, the, in the sentence here, if you're choosing that gun for your carry gun, um, all right, that's fine if it's really not going to get shot much. But if you're not shooting much, then what are you doing, right? Like you should be practicing. You should be training. You should be trying to advance and improve your skill. It's a serious thing to carry a gun. Well, then once you start actually practicing and training a bunch, well, that's where I might have a little bit of reservation about that X cheap gun, you know, that that I'm carrying because I don't, you know, I don't know that I have the confidence in it like I would with a Glock or Smith and Wesson or a, a SIG, you know, knowing that through 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 rounds with appropriate maintenance along the way that they're still going to continue holding up and performing very reliably in the long term. So we have to put things in context for sure. For sure. Um, so anyway, lots of things to consider, you know, and again, we could probably keep going and going and going with this stuff. Uh, maybe sometime we'll pick this up again. But a reminder that today's episode is sponsored by Pig Lube. Again, we talked about how it's good to have quality lubricant. There we are. There's my tube right there. Uh, Pig Lube's worked great for me. All right. So I I recommend it. All right. So go check it out. Concealcarry.com forward slash Pig Lube. Um, yeah. And, and one of my favorite things about it, though, and, and Matthew, you know this, is the applicator. It looks like a lip gloss applicator. This thing's genius, though, because it allows me to apply my lubrication without making a lot of mess. And I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah. 
So that's Definitely. one of the cool things about the pig lube product that people may not think about is it really is uh, basically a no mess application, um, you know, design. So it's really cool. Concealedcarry.com forward slash pig lube. And then also our concealedcarry.com reactive targets, concealedcarry.com CC targets is where you can find them. Go check out the full lineup of our, basically their peel and stick targets. They, they come with the, the thing is, is the adhesive that's used on them is really, really, really good quality adhesive. So contrast that with some other peel and stick targets that I'm familiar with that sometimes don't stick very well. Our targets stick exceptionally well, even in the cold and even sometimes to somewhat moist or wet uh, materials, more so than I have seen other products. I can't say it's the perfect product or it's the perfect adhesive, but I know it's a really good adhesive uh, for that type of product. And we're really proud of the concealedcarry.com reactive targets. Again, concealedcarry.com forward slash CC targets. So we're going to sign on out of here and let you all go. Have a great day, a great weekend. We'll be back here next week. Matthew, uh, good luck teaching your class. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And uh, so until next time. Train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.